Bibles to, yeah, you guessed it, John chapter 4. You know, uh, just to bring all our visitors up to speed, uh, several months ago we finished the book of Proverbs after about six years, and uh, literally, and we started the Gospel of John, and we have been working our way through John. Uh, it's a book that uh, I have not taught for quite a while and was looking forward to doing it. There's so much in it. And uh, last week, we have worked through John chapter 1, obviously, John chapter 2, John chapter 3, story of Nicodemus. And now we've moved into John chapter 4. And uh, we looked at one of the greatest studies and stories in all of the Bible. And that will be the story about the woman at the well. Now, most messages I have heard on this, and they're good messages. I'm not criticizing them at all. But they always emphasize the fact that uh, of her getting saved and coming to the Lord Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I'm 100% on board with that. I think that this is one of the greatest pictures of how we got saved. But like most stories in the Bible where most Baptist preachers preach it, there's so much more to it than that. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think that Baptist churches with Baptist preachers they so sell short their people when it comes to the Word of God. And we're going to talk, uh, last week we, we talked about, well, get back there, you know, this well was Jacob's well. And there she meets the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you when we started John chapter 4 a couple of weeks ago, we haven't even got to the salvation aspect of it yet because there's been so much to look at. I told you that I wanted to take some time and lay out wells for you in the Bible. Uh, you know, so as we unfold this story here, that you would have a better understanding of the story in John chapter 4 and have some depth to it and some context to it. And for me, you know, it's using places like this to help show you how that that Bible that you hold in your hand today is the greatest book this world has ever seen. There isn't any book on this planet that can compare to it. Uh, years and years and years ago, Truman Dollar, who I worked with for a number of years, he, he made a statement that I've never forgotten. And he said, he says, if you could take all of the literature and the books and the material that were written by man, he says, you could, you could put them in a pile that would uh, cover the state of Missouri and it stacked up past the orbit of the moon, which is 250,000 miles. <clears throat> and he said, if you could possibly do that, you could judge every one of those books in the light of one book. And boy, that is so true, the Word of God that you hold in your hand today. And, uh, and in our study together, uh, my goal is not just to, in anything I give you, my goal is not just to give you some sermon I'll give you some, something to, you know, either ch challenge you with. I want to do that. But I want more than that. I want to show you by the very things that we look at how you too can unlock the Scriptures. Amen. I'm not interested in just getting up and giving you a sermon so you can go home and take your notes and, and go. I mean, that is important. I want you to learn how to use this Bible yourself. And we know that in the Bible, we've laid this out over the last couple of weeks. We know that now that water in the Bible is a picture of the Word of God. We know that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 talks about the washing of water by the Word. Titus 3, 5 says washing of regeneration and renewing 
uh, of the Holy Ghost. In Exodus chapter 17, when the children of Israel, you know, were without water, God smote that rock, or Moses smote that rock, and the water came out, and it's a picture of, uh, of the Word of God. And we now know that a well in the Bible, a well of water, will represent the depth of our relationship with God and His Word. How deep we're willing to go, because the deeper you go, the sweeter the water gets. And, uh, you know, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, we talked about that last week, that the depth of man, his heart is like a deep well. Proverbs 10, verse 11, the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Proverbs 25, 25, as cold water to a thirsty soul, so with good news from a far country. The good news, of course, being the gospel. And the far country is the book that God gave us from heaven. You know, over the years, I've heard a lot of great preachers preach on winning people to Christ and make great analogies of soul winning. My father in the Lord, Mel Zabaka, you guys probably remember this. He used to say that soul winning is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Remember those days? And I heard somebody else say that also soul winning is nothing more than giving a thirsty soul a cold drink of water. And that is so true. And the idea that we are, uh, we are to be a well of water to people in a dry and thirsty land, you know, this old world. And again, the greatest example of that is you're going to find in the Old Testament is Exodus chapter 16 and 17. Nation of Israel left Egypt, and now they're in, the Bible says, the wilderness of sin. And whether you know it or not, we're in the wilderness of sin today. And when they moved into that wilderness of sin, there wasn't one thing there that could sustain them. There was no water. There was no food. And many of God's people back then, they, they complained about God to Moses. And they thought that God had foolishly brought them out of Egypt to let them die in the wilderness. And you know, that wasn't true. Because the Bible tells us in Luke chapter, or, uh, Exodus chapter 16 that God brought the manna down from heaven. The manna is a supernatural gift of God's food to them. It's a picture of the Word of God supernaturally that God gave to you and to me. And, you know, everything in that chapter is an incredible chapter. I mean, he brought it down at night when they were sleeping. And in the morning, they, they, didn't, they didn't define the strength of supernatural food from God. They didn't have to go look for the caves in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They didn't have to go look. They just opened back the tent door, and there it was. They didn't have to go looking for the food supernaturally that God gave them. God brought it to right where they are. And I'm telling you, you don't have to look in the Greek and the Hebrew. You don't have to go to the Dead Sea or the, all the other junk that's out there. God brought the manna from heaven and put it right in your lap this morning. But... The fact that God brought it to right to where they were, they opened a tent flap, there it was. It brought a decision that they had to make, much like the decision that you've got to make. They either gathered enough to eat, or they just trampled it under their feet and went on their way, just like God's people do. You know, one of the things I've learned about 50 years in the ministry, human nature never changes. It's the same now as it was back then. So they're in the wilderness of sin, and there's no water either. So there God tells, tells Moses to take the rod, the rod of judgment, and go up to that rock type of Christ, and he smites that rock, and the water comes forth. Supernatural bread and supernatural water. And as we travel through this world, 
most certainly we are in our own wilderness of sin. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing in this world that will satisfy our needs other than, one, the manna from heaven and the deep well of water that God has given us, pictured in John chapter 4. And once we have our well dug deep, then we give water to ourselves, our families, and then, of course, we take it to others. Christian life is not complicated. It really isn't. But the Christian life has been compromised. And we today, we look at everything out there that God says is the simplicity of Christ. We try to make it hard. And we know now also that we've learned this, and I'm trying to build this up because we're going to get into some stuff today. We know now that God's plan for the salvation of the world was through families. In the Old Testament, it was through family. He said about Abraham, I know him that he'll do what's right with his family. The whole 12 tribes of the nation of Israel came from a family. And then the New Testament, that's God's process. The training of our children to, to, to walk and serve God in the ministry, side by side or as missionaries and pastors, wherever God sends them. You know, Psalms 127, verse 3, a great misquoted verse that says that, that children are God's heritage of the Lord. They're not ours. They're God's heritage. God gave them to us that the fruit of the womb might be his reward, that we would do what God wants us to do. Generations after generations after generations of families, an unbroken line of succession. And, uh, and I told you, when it comes to a well, you have to dig your own. You can't, you can't live on somebody else's well water forever. You may come here and you may get discipled and people may help you with the Bible and teach you the Bible, but sooner or later, you have got to dig your own well. And I showed you in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15, where he says that you have to dig a well, but then you have to make a cistern. And a cistern is carved out of a rock that holds the water. So you get the water out of the well, you dig, but then you got to store it up within a rock that you can use it when the droughts come. And so uh, in my 50 years, you know, we've been talking about that last night and, th and Thursday and today. And in my 50 years have fundamentally been just about one thing, and that is teaching you how to dig a well. If you wanted to make everything simple, I, I, I can't dig it for you. All I've done is tried to provide for you the tools for you to dig your own well, because you'll never survive without one. Because we are living in a wilderness of sin. And nothing this world has is going to satisfy you. Well, then I gave you two great stories looking at wells. And I wanted to show you how that you just don't want to go to John 4 and tell the standard story of salvation, though I'm going to do that before we get done with John chapter 4. Not today, but we're, I'm going to, I, you don't want to miss that. But I gave you two great stories that really begin to show us what the well of water, the Word of God, is all about. And today, and I told you this, most God's people don't want to dig a well. No, you want to live off bottled water. You want to go to Quick Trip and get it by the case for $2 a piece. Some of you are really stupid and you go to the football game and pay $6 a bottle for it when you're going to buy three cases for that. But that's okay. Okay. It always amazed me what people out in the hot sun, Joe, are willing to do to get a water, pay $6 for a 50-cent bottle, but they're not willing to invest anything in the water of life that will give you what you need. 
Now, that wasn't part of my sermon. I just thought of that, so I thought I'd just let you have that. <laughs> but the first one I gave you was in Genesis chapter 24. And that's a great story. Because that's the story of Abraham wanting to find a bride for his son Isaac. And I know, the story is a cute little deal, you know, and it's fun, it's nice. But most people don't realize and understand that that is a great picture. Not only is it a great picture because Abraham's the type of God the Father, Isaac's the type of Christ, and Eleazar's the type of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's out there looking for a bride, a Gentile bride, who's a picture of the church. Not only is that a great story, but it also forms for us, and there's a book on it back there, we teach it all the time, how to find the right spouse. Because in that chapter, there's 19 principles that you ought to look for in either a man or a woman as a potential spouse before you ever say I do. And you know what? The greatest thing is when he found her. You know where he found her? At the well. He found her at the well. And not only was she just at the well, she was learned how to use the water out of the well. Oh, I'll tell you, it's a great story. It's a great story. Your prospective spouse needs to have the same love for the well that you have. Then I gave you last week Genesis chapter 26, Isaac and his family, you know, they, they, they're in the land, God sends them down to the land of the Philistines and the wells there that he digs. And it was an incredible study as we walked through all that. And because of his obedience and his faithfulness, I, I showed you how this applies to your family. And because of his obedience and faithfulness, God did three things that he will do for us that we are faithful in digging a well. He blessed his family, he provided for his family, and he preserved his family. And I also showed you that there were three things when God began to work in his life, three vital things that Isaac did that if we do them, will ensure our families for generation to generation. You know what the first thing he did? He built an altar. And I told you how that, that has to be, a, for your children, a picture of what this family stands for. And then the second thing that he did, the Bible says that he pitched a tent. But it doesn't say he pitched a tent. It says he pitched a tent there at the altar. You know the third thing he did? He dug, dug a well. And this will fit into any Christian family, any Christian's life. I mean, it is just the study of wells in the Bible are incredible. Now today, we will be back in John chapter 4. And again, we're going to look at wells, but this time, we're going to look at Jacob's well. Now I'm going to read John chapter 4 like I did last week. I know it's lengthy, but this will be a time if you want to nod off for five or six minutes, you can go ahead and do it. He said in John chapter 4 verse 1, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs to go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Shikar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, 
sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how, how, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samarians. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou that living water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Mark that. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be to him in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this, this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And Jesus answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said. I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And thou whom now that thy hast is not thy husband, in that thou sayest truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Yeah, I guess you would. You figured you out before you got two seconds into this thing. And uh, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But worship ye know not, ye worship, uh, ye know not what. We know that we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, Why seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? <clears throat> the woman left her water pot <clears throat> and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come to see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Joe, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the preaching this morning? <clears throat> Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We are grateful for the privilege that we have to gather together in your name. <clears throat> and Lord, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as we see the day approaching, thank you for this taste of heaven, Lord, where we can feast on your manna, where we can come to this well, Lord, and have the springing water that springs up within us. And Lord, we're so grateful that you have quenched our thirst in Jesus Christ. And you continue to do that on a daily basis. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law here this morning. Bless and anoint the preacher here with your spirit, and Lord, uh, work in us, each and every one of us, to will 
and to do of your good pleasure that your beloved son might be lifted up, that he might draw all men to himself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> now, verse 6 <clears throat> tells us, now Jacob's well was there. <clears throat> now, here's the storyline, because <clears throat> as we move through this, I <clears throat> this is going to be very important. Jesus sitting on this well in verse 6, <clears throat> and a woman of Samaria comes to get water. Jesus says to her in verse 7, give me drink. <clears throat> she says back to verse 9, why, don't you know the Jews have nothing to do with us? Why would you want to drink from me? Now, let me stop here and explain this. <clears throat> He's a Jew. She's from Samaria. Samarians are half Jew and half Gentile. Most people know about the Samarian, but they don't know how that all came about. You've got to go back to 2 Kings chapter 17, uh, I think down around verse 24 in that chapter someplace. And when, when uh, king of Assyria better known as Shennacherib, snack to his friends, when the king of Syria came down and took the nation of Israel captivity. The devil through him took a bunch of the Jews and put them down into Samaria, that was a Gentile city, and had them intermingle and intermix and intermarriage, obviously, to wipe out the nation of Israel's true seed. And so that's where all this Samaria stuff comes from. Now, I want you to see this. When he has a, and this is things you got to learn. When, when, when Jesus has this conversation, he picks a time when the disciples are not there. Now, that may not mean something to you. We talked about a trained eye when it comes to the Bible. Well, that may mean not much to you, but to me, that tells me that there will be times in your life when you're working with people or dealing with somebody that God will get some people out of the way so they're not in the way of what you're trying to do with them. Amen. I mean, he sends the disciples down to town. Arby's had pick five. You get five for a dollar, you know. And so he sent them down there to get some food. He wanted them out of the way because it would have been too much to explain with him as a Jew talking to her as a Samaritan, half Jew and half Gentile, and sometimes, hey, I had to go talk to people in the hospital sometimes that were going to die, and I knew that, that the family didn't want me to talk to them about the Lord. And you know what I do going up the elevator? I say, Lord, you're gonna, if you want me to give this guy the gospel, you're going to have to fix it because I can't kick anybody out of the room. And I walk into that room, talk to this guy, and I'm not there 30 seconds that a nurse comes in and says, the doctor would like to talk to you, the family, down the hall. I got what I needed. He'll do that, but you have to see how this thing lays itself out. All this stuff is important. And then <clears throat> the obvious, they get into <clears throat> a, dis a discussion on water. She is a perfect picture of the natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God. She's thinking about physical water from a well that she has to keep coming back to. He, on the other hand, is making the analogy that the water he has is spiritual water that she'll get that's eternal life. And, and, and in this story forms, as many preachers preach it, one of the greatest stories on getting God's salvation of water life. But there is more to it than just that. Amen. Now, <clears throat> just like this woman at the well, now, this is a little practical thing for all of us. All through life, you will find people who are looking for something that's real. Most of you are in this church this morning because you were looking for something.
because the world was no longer satisfying you. And you were looking for something that was real and you find it. Now, there were a few of you here that just came in and got lost and you've never found your way out. I get that. (laughs) But for the most part, you came here looking for something real because the world was not real for you. And many of you got into different levels of issues in your life, some of them not so bad, some of them tragic. But the bottom line is you found that your escape route was through the Word of God in God's church. And God's people are looking for something that will satisfy them. Last week in the story, I told you how that when God sent him down to the, down to the land of the Philistines, the Bible says that when the blessings of God came into his life, the Philistines envied him. And I also told you that that's what the world ought to see in you. They ought to envy what you have. You know, again, we make Christianity so complicated. We have all kinds of programs. We have all kinds of this and all kinds of that. We have churches that put on a, a halftime show, you know, like to do with the Super Bowl to try to get people. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, what all people are looking for, all they're looking for, all they're looking for is a real Christian. That's all they're looking for. Unfortunately, Real Christians are about as rare as a Tyrannosaurus Rex in in Central Park in New York. But that's what they're looking for. Their lives are a mess. They want to see somebody. They want to see something that's real. But they want to see it in somebody that's real. They don't want a preacher just to get up and talk about what God can do. They want to see the evidence in your life that God did do something. They want to see what's real. They want to see a real family. I mean, their family is messed up and and broken up and beaten up. They want to see a real Christianity. And unfortunately, because they don't see it, you know what they do. It's not complicated. They start looking in all the wrong places, don't they? Yeah, they do. I'm going to tell you something. Whether you're saved or lost this morning, or you're listening to my voice out there, every issue that we have in life, every problem, every disaster, every issue that befalls us will go back to us looking in the wrong places for the answers. And I don't care if you're saved or lost. And I'm here to tell you the only lasting thing that will satisfy you completely will be being regenerated by the washing of the water by the word. And in life, you know, in the physical world, we, we, we think of all, we all have get thirsty. And we all think that there's substitutes out there to quench our thirst. And I've heard it all. You know, and your body gets impurities in it and they need to be cleansed. And I found this out and this is true. I guarantee you that there is no substitute for water in our lives. You can drink all the Coke you want. You can drink all the Dr. Pepper you want. You can drink all the Pip, the Squirt, the whatever you want to do. You can pretend you're a hillbilly and drink Mountain Dew. I don't care. You can drink coffee, whom I'm a lover of. You can drink tea. You can drink iced tea. You can drink coffee. You can get iced coffee. You can get a moto, lotto, up your nozo, blozo drink and, 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 and drink that stuff down. You can drink beer. 
You can get a whiskey. You can have Jack Daniels on this side and Captain Morgan on this side. It doesn't matter. You can drink juice, apple juice, grape juice. I mean, uh, uh, peach juice, prune, not prune juice. You can drink a lot of kinds of stuff. None of it will quench your thirst. You've been to the prune juice place before, huh? I get you. I understand. Water itself is supernatural. There's no taste to it. There's no color to it, unless you're drinking it in Raytown, out of the (laughs) water system. It's a little rusty. That's okay. After 50 years in the ministry, I'm a little rusty. I understand. No taste to it. There's no additives. There's no sugar. It's clear. It's, it's almost like in its physical form, it's supernatural. Everybody remember back in the 1950s, they were a, a group, you know, Roy Rogers was big back then and Hopalong Cassidy, you kids don't even know who this is, Gene Autry. Yeah, I'm going to remember those guys. You see, that's back when, when this country still meant something with the Bible. I, years ago, I've watched a, a Hopalong Cassidy on Saturday morning, you know, when they were the old ones. And actually, Hopalong Cassidy, Gene Autry would do this too. Roy Rogers and Dale Evans were saved people. I mean, they were Christians. And I think Gene, uh, Gene Autry was, and I don't know about Hopalong Cassidy, but I know this. He had this little thing. And you know, and it, it was good, wholesome stuff. There was no fornication in it. I don't think they ever even shot anybody and killed them. God rob a bank and run off, Hoppy pull out his gun and shoot it up in the air and hit a rock and come down and hit the guy in the arm. And the only thing these guys ever kissed was their horse, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, come on. And, and it's a thing where after this thing, hopping on Cassidy came out. I ain't kidding you. And he says, boys and girls, listen to Hoppy. He says, the Bible is the word of God. And you need to obey the Bible, and you need to obey mom and dad. And television! You won't find that today. Well, back then there was a quartet. How many know these guys? Sons of the Pioneers. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think so, but if you need to believe that this morning, Herb, you hold on to it. The Sons of the Pioneers were, were cowboys from out west, and they sang all these songs about out west, and they were with Hopalong Cassidy, uh, Dale uh, Evans, and Roy Rogers used them all the time. When I was a kid growing up, I had all of their records. And they had, back then, you had the little ones with the hole in the middle, you know, you put on the deal. Records. <laughs> and, and my favorite song was Cool Water. Oh, it was about this guy. I'm going to sing a little bit of it for you, just so you can get in the spirit of this thing. All day long I faced a barren wasteland without water. And then a guy go, cool. And they go, cool, clear, clear water. And then somebody in the background would go, water, water. It was great. (laughs) And then the second verse was, don't listen to him, Dan. He's the devil, not a man. And he crossed the burning sands for water. Help me out now. Cool, clear, 
water. water. <laughs> you get it. You get it. <laughs> that was my favorite song. Little did I know. They were talking about life. Amen. Now, yeah, many of us have crossed that burning sand, haven't we, huh? And one day we found that water. Cool, clear water. And I can hear the angels. <laughs> what do you think, Anna? Should we go home and go eat? I'm ready to go. <clears throat> so she meets Jesus at this well, Jacob's well. And he's sitting on it, and they have this conversation about her thirst and his water. Now, I've talked about many, many times to try to get you to see and use and develop a trained eye. Don't just read the Bible. Train your eye to look for things in the Bible. And right here, her being a Samaritan will be our first glimpse that the Word of God will be going to the Gentile world at some point. I don't know what you know about the book of Acts, but this story follows the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, Israel gets their final chance to get the kingdom. They ask the Lord in chapter 1, Will not restore unto Israel the kingdom of this time? He doesn't answer them. And then Peter preaches four or five messages. Stephen ends it up. And he lays it out about them to get the kingdom. And every stupid Baptist and every Bible college on this planet tries to make the church of Jerusalem the model church. There isn't a Christian with a hundred million light years in, in Acts chapter 1 through 7. It's Jerusalem, men of Jerusalem, and their last final chance to get that kingdom. And what happens? Stephen gets up, he preaches to them, ye men of Israel. And they reject him. What happens? Chapter 8, something that has never happened before that you got a glimpse of in John chapter 4. The gospel goes and revival breaks out in Samaria. Wow. At the end of chapter 8, God does tell us that black lives matter because you got an Ethiopian eunuch here to get saved. Amen. You bet they do. You bet they do. And uh, as we move on through it, Acts chapter 9, Paul gets saved. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. He's a wop. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I said that just for you, Joe. <clears throat> WAP lives matter too. I want you to know that. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's an Italian and he's in a band. It says he's in an Italian band. He's in a little polka band, you know. And then what happens through this transition? Acts chapter eleven, to Acts chapter twenty goes to the Gentile. But you got a glimpse of that right here. It's no accident that she's from Samaria. It's no accident that he did it when the disciples weren't around. Now, today I want to take you back again to the Old Testament, and I want to show you another story about a well. But this time, it will be a story of this exact same well in John chapter 4, Jacob's well. And, uh, this will, and, and through this, you'll see how God will use stories in his Bible. In this case, 1,800 years apart to unlock some of the great New Testament principles for us that will lead to not only the salvation of all men, but it led to your salvation and my salvation, and hopefully will unlock 
everything in the Bible for you. Now, just go back to our trained eye for a moment. Now, look at this story in John chapter uh, 4 that I just read to you. And I, I, I don't know if you picked up on the Sumerian gig here and, and saw that, but there's something else here. We know this story deals around our own salvation of us getting water and Christ's death on the cross that brought forth that water. Do you see anything here that would, would add more weight to that? Well, when I look at it, the first thing that jumps out to me is this whole story, and I don't know why he'd have to put this in here. I mean, it doesn't help me. It's not going to be a verse I'm going to give you around a campfire some night that really means something to me. Why did he tell us in this story that it all took place the sixth hour? You know why? Because it was the sixth and the ninth hour that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. This thing is a picture of something. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 says, From the sixth and ninth hour, darkness was on. This is where he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is where he cried out for you. I thirst. And he didn't get any water, so you could. So let's read Genesis chapter 29, the first eight verses, and then we'll begin to put this together here. Okay. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered. And they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, It is well. And they said, uh, he is well, uh, and behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet a high day. What a mark that. Neither is it time for the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, Let's see how this Old Testament story will connect up to the New Testament chapter in John chapter 4. And this broadens everything that you've ever learned about John chapter 4 and the little messages that you get. Now today is a great lesson on how to put your Bible together. I've never just blow through things. I've talked about the trained eye. I've showed you some key things here that you, you should be pick up the moment you read it. And the Bible's filled with things like that. And you, you, you train your eye what to look for because what you look for through a trained eye will always give you the context of whatever you're looking at. Now, there's a couple of things to see here. Number one, verse two. This well here, uh, I've already told you this, is the exact same well found in John chapter four. It's just around 800 years, 1,800 years later. The second thing, there are three flocks gathered around this well. The third thing, the problem is there's a great stone on the mouth of the well and the sheep can't get water. Now the fourth thing, verse 3, so they move the stone off and they water the sheep. 
and they get water. Now, let's go back to our trained eye for just a minute. These are things that you train your eye to look for. It is the key to unlocking the Bible. It isn't Greek. It isn't Hebrew. It isn't going to a Bible college. It isn't going to a seminary. It's taking the simple, clear Word of God that God gave you and understanding God wrote his own book and defined it the way he wanted to find it, and you have to develop a trained eye to see it. I already gave you John chapter 4, verse 6, the sixth hour. We connected that in. Now look at Genesis 29, 3, and it says, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. His place, this well is a, ma- a, a, a male well. It's connected with a man. And it has a mouth. Now, I know the moment you read that, you think it's talking about a woman, but it's not. <laughs> this is his place. That was a joke, which I will pay for dearly later. It, <laughs> it's a male well. A well male. A male well. And then after they water the sheep, they put the stone back on the well. Then the sixth thing, Rachel shows up, verses 9 and 10, and they again move the stone, and all the sheep are gathered uh, together, and the Bible says now they're watered and fed. I want to mark that. And it tells you there in those verses that it was a high day. You want to mark that. Now, 9 and 10 says this, And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, so far, I have given you six keys that your trained eye should have saw. Because I'm not just interested in giving you a nice little salvation story about the woman at the well. But I am also interested, and I will give you that in a couple of weeks, but there's so much in this chapter. I am not just interested in giving you some sermon. I want you to see, because you have to learn to dig your own well. So I'm going to take all the time that it takes to show you about wells. Now, the first thing I showed you was John 4, 6, sixth hour connected to the crucifixion. The second thing I showed you that there was three flocks of sheep that needed water, Genesis chapter 29. And the next thing I showed you that this well is connected with a male, his place, and it has a mouth, 29.3. And then the next thing I showed you, the fifth thing key was that Rachel shows up, and then the sixth thing was a high day. Okay, now, with all that, here we go. Let's go back, and now we're going to put it together for you. And I want you to see how you let the Bible, through a trained eye of just key things, open itself up for you. Verses 1 and 2, this is, again, this is the exact same well in this story in Genesis 29 that we have in John 4, and it's a picture of the woman of Samaria. Same well, same place just 1,800 years later. Verse 2 tells me that there are three flocks of sheep. Now, that ought to be a key once you put this together because the Bible says that the whole earth 
was over pop, was populated through Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They represent the three basic races coming out of the ark by which the whole world is, is, is populated by. Now, I know we got, but that's because of all the inner, but fundamentally in the beginning, the sons of Noah, they populated the whole earth. A black man, a yellow man, and a white man. Genesis chapter 9. Now, you know, with a trained eye, the moment you saw those three flocks, you should have went back to uh, the cross of Calvary where Pilate, when they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 19, they put an inscription over the cross. And it said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And a trained eye would see that he put it in three languages. He put it in Latin for Ham, he put it in Greek for Japheth, and he put it in Hebrew for the Jew. Why? Because those are the three flocks that needed to get the water out of the well. So our first removal of the stone will be God dealing with man in the Old Testament. This will be the kingdom of heaven, the physical, literal kingdom that is given to the nation of Israel. And salvation comes through that nation. And that's how all the nations, I mean, he told Abraham, through you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know how they were going to get the water out of the well? Through the nation of Israel. But the stone then, after they water them, and they water them, but it doesn't say they feed them. But the stone is put back on in verse 3, and that will show us that there comes a time in Israel when God shuts the door. That time, historically, will be under Nebuchadnezzar in 606 B.C. It'll be under Shennacherib in 587 B.C. And it's talked about in Psalms chapter 78. Most of the Old Testament prophets wrote about it either coming here or after the fact. And this is what we know in history as the 400 silent years where the stone is on the well and there is not one revelation from God to man other than what was written in the Old Testament for the next 400 years. And boy, this is where the devil does his work in history. <clears throat> this is where your Dead Sea Scrolls come from. This is where all your, <clears throat> the Apocrypha comes from. This is where the godless piece of trash, the Septuagint, comes from. This is where all that stuff now, the devil counterfeits it because God, heaven's brass, man. God speaks to no man. The stone's back on the, on the well. And then verse 9, <clears throat> Rachel shows up. Now, Rachel, to the trained eye, would tell you immediately, we know that she's the type of the nation of Israel. You're told in Matthew chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, when Herod was going to kill all the children two years and down to try to get rid of Christ. Remember that story? The Bible says and makes a, a clearly uh, statement that Rachel weeping for her children, the nation of Israel. Well, Rachel been dead for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But she's a picture of the nation of Israel. She's buried in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of, city of, 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 of meat, the city of bread. It, 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 it's a picture of everything. And she's the type of the nation of Israel. And then we have the trained eye. It says, it was a high day. And when you go over to John chapter 19, verse 31, when Christ is crucified, lo and behold, you know what it says? It says, it was a high day. You see, it's things like this that the Catholics never figure out that this is why they, they celebrate Good Friday. 
they teach you that Good Friday is the day he was crucified on. They can't get the truth that it was Bad Wednesday. The reason why they get Good Friday because for them the math doesn't work out because they're so stupid that they don't see out of the Leviticus chapter 23 and 24 that when Christ was crucified there were two Sabbaths that weekend. That's why it's called the high day. <laughs> oh boy. But the sheep can't be watered and fed until verse 8. All the flocks this is the first time in the story you heard this. All the flocks be gathered together. Oh, that's the Jew and Gentile in one body, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. And everybody made one in Christ. So in verse 9 and 10, they rolled the stone from the well's mouth. I love that phrase, rolled the stone, like the tomb. They rolled the stone. And the trained eye says not only did they get watered, but they got fed. And it all comes through Rachel showing up because Rachel is a type of the nation of Israel. And in John chapter 4, verse 22, here it comes. Salvation is of the Jew. So, Galatians 3.28 tells us that now that the rock has been rolled away, now that the, the water is here and we can have the water and be fed, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither is there bond or free. There is neither male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So much for the heresy that Hebrews was, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians. Stupidest thing on the planet is for a guy to get up and say, well, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians. I beg the difference. My Bible says that in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. You don't even understand why he wrote it. I mean, nothing like a simple Bible story to clear up your seminary education. And boy, this whole thing, I mean, what an incredible story and picture to connect John chapter 4, the woman at Jacob's well. Now, one more time, get this in your Bible, and here it comes. Bible says, when I first read this, not this time, years ago, the, thing that, I just, I'll the things that popped out to me, it says, and Jacob's well was there. Do you know what? You have a King James Bible in your lap this morning. Amen? Now, Galatians, the book of Galatians, talks about Nine fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And you'll read down through there and you'll find nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians is the ninth book in the New Testament. The word Galatians itself has nine letters in it. And the two verses that those nine are found in add up to nine. In other words, if you want to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you've got to get the book you've got in your lap. It's just that simple. Now your Bible says Holy Bible. Nine letters. It says King James. Nine letters. If you got the right one, it's a 1611. What's six and three? Nine. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know what James in Hebrew means? It's Jacob. 
you got the book in your life that not only, and the Bible says over there in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 where the word of a king is, there's power. Amen. You got the book in your hand written, God given to you, the manna from heaven, a King James 6, 10, 11 authorized version that God didn't give it when Elizabeth was on the throne. He, you know, all these guys, well, why did God pick King, king James? Because you're stupid and don't know why he did. This is why he didn't get it when Henry was on or Mary was on or Elizabeth was on or Victoria was on because that's a Jewish book and salvation is of the Jew. So he waited till a king got on the throne, James, with Jacob's name and gave you the well of water in that book right there. Then the next thing, verse 2. We already know this. The three flocks first represent the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they remove the stone in the Old Testament and they get watered but not fed. Now, trained eye again. They get watered, the Word of God, in a national sense, kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 3 verse 2 says that the nation of Israel got the oracles of God. They had the Word of God. They got the water, the Word of God, in a national sense, the nation, but they had no individual word of God to them through the Holy Spirit of God. No personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God like you and I have. They didn't have a Holy Spirit of God like John chapter 16 says, that will come, that will lead and guide you to all truth and feed you. They didn't have that. In fact, in the Old Testament, God spoke to them four ways, the nation of Israel. Dreams and visions through prophets, through the unum and the thunum, or through the angel of the Lord himself. They didn't have a Bible like you have. They had a law. They didn't have the stories that you have. People think sometimes, well, they just, back there, you know, Samson should have looked up his own book and found out what he should have done what was right. They didn't have any of that. They got watered, but only you and I can be fed. You know why? You got the book (laughs) from Jacob. So they put the stone back on the well, And I told you that's Psalm 78 where the kingdom of heaven goes out. 606 B.C., 587 B.C. End of the kingdom of heaven on earth until the first coming of Christ. And now for the next 400 years or so, heavens are brass. And as I already told you, the devil has a field day. This is where he counterfeits everything. This is where everything is now put into place that when Christ shows up, he's going to have 400 years. Trained eye. They're down in Egypt. When they go out in Exodus chapter 12, they're down in Egypt for a couple of hundred years. And while they're down in Egypt for all that period of time, you know what the devil's doing? He's having sons of God come back down again, and he's putting the promised land and stocking it with a fresh supply of giants so that when they go to that land, they have to face them, and he does everything he can to keep them out of the land that God promised them. Those 400 silent years, you know what he did? He knew what was coming. You know what he did? He brought every religion. He brought every philosophy. He brought everything that the Greeks had, the Romans had, and everybody had. And he sophisticated religion to the point where he trashed it so bad because he wanted to do for the church what he did to the nation of Israel. So when Christ showed up the first time and died on that cross, that you'd have to argue with somebody to get them to believe it because of philosophy. And why, my, my, what destroyed the church at Laodicea? The very church we live in, I'll tell you what destroyed it, philosophy. 
That's what destroyed it. The rudiments of the world coming into the church. And I'm telling you right now, this is how this thing goes, man. The heavens are brass, and the devil did the exact same thing there at 400 years that he did with the nation of Israel while they were down all those years in Egypt. He prepared where both of us were going to give you every opposition to keep you from getting there. And it took the nation of Israel, what, 40 years wandering? And yet we've already studied they could have been there in 10 days. And you can have the Word of God down and be where you need to be and go where God wants you to be in a very short time. But you know what? It takes most of God's people all of their life and they still don't get it done. You know why? Because you're wandering in the wilderness. And I'm going to tell you again, nothing to eat there. Nothing to drink there. And then, (laughs) I love this, Rebecca shows up. Type of the nation of Israel. Salvations of the Jews. And again, they roll away the stone. Resurrection. And now all three flocks come together and get water. And they get fed. Because now we're looking at the New Testament and a personal relationship with Christ by being in the family of God, the New Testament church of God, and the Jew and the Gentile all in one body together. Why do you think in John chapter 4 the woman was from Samaria? I'll tell you why she's from Samaria, because she's a half Jew and half Gentile. That was a picture of where we're going to be in Christ Jesus in the church age. Jew and Gentile in one body. That's why. Trained eye. Trained eye. Now watch this. <laughs> oh, how I love this book. Now, back in Genesis 29, a great stone sitting on the well. And 1,800 years later, when a half Jew and half Gentile, picture of the body of Christ, comes to the same well to get water, she finds 1,800 years later on the same well, on the same mouth of the well, sitting the rock of God, Deuteronomy 32 and the great stone that was cut without hands in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. <laughs> On the same well, sitting in the same place, his place, Genesis 29, 3, sitting on the well's mouth. And she, because the stone was rolled away, gets the water of life. A half Jew, half Gentile, representing the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile in one body. And we got it too. Oh, that story is a picture of how God, through the water, the word of God, and the sheep, and the flocks, and the key people that brought salvation through the nation of Israel right to you and me. In John chapter 4, without Genesis chapter 29, won't cut it for you. There's a depth to the word of God. Now, that's how your Bible will lay itself out. Now, let me just say this. I I do so appreciate all that this weekend represents. Last night was more than I could have ever hoped for. And I appreciate today, and I appreciate the cards and our sentiments and everybody and their kindness and their love for our 50 years in the ministry. 
but I, I must tell you, and I don't want to diminish all the work that everybody did because it is so appreciated and it's a labor of love, and I totally understand that. But I would be less than God's man if I didn't tell you this, that in truth, it's not about me. And, and I get it. I know God uses men, and you're to follow that man. And we've all heard it. Everybody says, well, you're just following a man. You're following. That's what you're supposed to do. And every man that ever told me I was following a man was following some other man. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says that Paul said to Timothy, be ye followers of me, but I'm followers of Christ. You're supposed to follow somebody. That's what God intended for you to do. He didn't tell you to get saved and just incubate for four or five years till you hatched out of your spiritual egg and became mature. He puts men in your life. He puts women in your life. He puts people in your life. And when they're real, you follow them. When they're not, don't. How complicated is that? You know, my calling of God in my life has just been about one thing. And I know people see a guy's ministry from all different perspectives, and I understand that. But nobody sees it in the perspective that I see it because I'm the one who lived it, God called through, and and all the things that he did. And my job is very clear. I don't know that I'm a really good pastor, but I have to pastor to do what God's called me to do. And, you know, I've, I've, I've learned this through life, and you guys will probably understand this. I know you guys will. Most really good pastors are not very good preachers. And most really good preachers don't make very good pastors. You find one who can do both, you got something. But they're not around very far. And I can go back, we can go all the way back to Canton and see that, you know. I mean, we know, we've been there, we know, we know which way the wind blows. It's, it's, it's what it is. But I had the pastor because what God called me to do and pastoring is just my pseudo-cloak, <laughs> is to take young men and young ladies, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, and teach by the greatest book that ever was on this planet how to dig a well. That's all I care about. I care about taking every young man, every young woman, some of you have been with me 30, 40, 40 years. And you know, some of you were with me when you were what? 14 years old? To me, it's, it's only been about one thing. It's only been about one thing. That is to take whoever, no matter how old you are, wherever you're at in life, and I said it many, many times, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what you've been into. All I care about is where you're at now and where you want to go. And all I've done is tried to teach you through the greatest book this world has ever seen. My ministry for 50 years has never been having a, just a passing acquaintance with the Word of God. And I understand, not everybody wants that. Some people want a passing acquaintance. They'll come here and they'll say, uh, I hear it all the time. Uh, you know what? Man, he went for an hour and 40 minutes preaching. I'm only used to 15. I get that. I get that. I couldn't even get my nose blowed in the water drunk in 15 minutes on a message. Are you kidding me? But I understand that. 
you're in a world that doesn't care about the Bible. And you're part of a Christianity that doesn't want truth anymore. You can't stand any more than 15 minutes of truth. That's right. And the real message is, in that 15 minutes, you probably didn't get much truth. Because the idea today is give them a 15 minute message at a 45 minute sideshow in the circus. Amen. Center ring. Amen. The dancing girls, the break dancers. Well, one church has a woman dressed up in a cat suit, Herb, dancing on the platform. <laughs> what do you say to that? Meow. <laughs> well, it's nuts. I'm telling you, man. That ain't here. If you want a passing acquaintance with the Word of God, I'll give you a list of churches you can try. No offense. I love you to death. You won't like it here. We dig wells deep. And I I can't dig it for you, but I'll give you the tools. I just gave you a lot of tools this morning. On Bible Institute, I give you tools. My people who work with you, they give you tools. We're like a blood zone, except we don't charge any rent for the tools we give you. And it's a thing where it's, that's the way it has to work. But I just do for you what others have, have done for me. I, I, I thought a lot yesterday and ever since Thursday when I knew this about looking back at my own world. And honestly, guys, there ain't nothing great about me. I just simply... Do for you what somebody did for me. I, I have a lot of problems in my life just like you do. But I'll tell you one problem I don't have, and that's ingratitude. I appreciate what somebody does for me. And I thought back, you know, when I, 50 years ago, my dad died this month. And it was that very time that, uh, you know, that uh, I, uh, God began to work in my heart. And I got home from the army, you know, and, and uh, uh, before that time, and I, I, my mom uh, would go to church, and, you know, I would go with her, and I slipped off into Mel Sabaka's class that morning. You know, I still had my army uniform on, and I slipped in and sat in the back because you guys were crazy, and I, you, you, I didn't want any part of it. But I went because my mom wanted to go. And Tommy Thomas preached that morning. And Tommy Thomas was an old Warhouse Philadelphian preacher. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was the beginning of where I'm at right now here with you. Because Tommy Thomas began to preach and he said, I want to preach to you this morning on the second coming of Christ. And when he said that, he grabbed his heart. And he started to slump over and he said, and he said I, are you ready? And he started to fall over. And he said it one more time as loud as he could before he hit the floor and went home to be with the Lord. And he pointed his finger and he screamed with the last ounce of his strength in his body. Are you ready? Folks, there was probably 250 people there that morning. He was pointing to me. And I left that thing. Sabaka got up and preached. I don't even remember what he said, but all I did know is he was pointing to me and I knew I wasn't ready. And I did some soul searching. And it was shortly after that that my dad passed away. And I'll tell you what, it's a thing where it, God began to move in my life. And, you know, it was just shortly thereafter that in June that I had already made my commitment. I went forward and I got right with the Lord, you know, and, and really made it, got it done. It was a Sunday night. 
And I wanted to do something for God. I, I didn't know what to do. But I had a telescope. And I knew a lot about astronomy. So I went to Mel. They had, they had, they had senior high week camp. And I said to Mel, I said, hey, I got a telescope. I said, I'll, I'll be glad to come out and show the kids the moon and the planet. Well, Mel cared nothing about astronomy, I guarantee you. <laughs> but he saw the opportunity to draw me in. Now, this is the guy, and he told this story. You probably have heard it. This is the guy that when he was, when he, uh, my mom and dad got mad at the preacher for something and didn't go to church for years. So I grew up not going to church. Every Tuesday night, was, was it Tuesday or Thursday? Tuesday night was visitation. And Mel would send out a bunch of kids to my house. And I got so wise to it that I would sneak out the back door and my mom would tell him he's not here. Well, one day I tried that, and I went out the back door, and guess who was standing there? <laughs> Mel Sabaka. He never gave up on me. And he saw that opportunity. And you know what he did? I went out to the camp. I didn't know anything about camp, didn't know anything about the Bible. He put me with Chuck Schuster. <coughs> Chuck didn't get to be here. They tried to get him to come, but he had work. But Chuck Schuster was the first guy... And I think Mel probably said, watch this guy, he had to burn the camp down. But, but he became my partner in the gospel and the star ministry. And for the next, he taught me the Bible, he showed me things, he, 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 he opened up everything for me. And for the next five years, we built the gospel and the star ministry and traveled all through Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, and preached the gospel and the stars. I mean, it was, it was, and in the process of that, then, you know, God put herb in my life. Her took me making hospital calls. He took me on visitation. He showed me a love for people. I was getting the Bible from Sabaka. And Sabaka loved people, but he's the old school hard nose. I needed a balance in my life, and that was Herb. And, you know, and you know, Herb would, one of the things he, I never forgot this. We'd go into a, a visitation or something, and I didn't know anything. And I'm just along for the ride, but I wanted to learn. And he'd be witness to somebody, and he knew I just got right with God. And right in the middle of that thing, he'd just say, Bob, you know, Bob just got right with the Lord. Bob, why don't you tell them their testimony? He, he, he made it easy for me. Jim Lake's another one. Jim Lake became one of my best friends, and he helped me move out to Kansas City. And to this day, he's, I probably have more respect for Jim Lake and what he did uh, up there in, in New Hampshire. Uh, just incredible. And it's, he's, he's just an incredible guy. And, and obviously with his wife being ill, he couldn't be here, but uh, um, Vermont, he was in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> but Herb, Herb, you know what? I, I don't want to, these states are so small up here, they all run together anyhow. Have you ever been there? No, he's in Vermont. And then you talk about the hand of God. Most of you don't know this. Joe, came after I got right with the Lord. And Joe and I and his wife became great friends. In fact, he, you're married today to him because of me. You know, not really, <laughs> Burger King, but that's okay. Amen. Amen. And uh, in fact, I got your little paper crown back here. I'm going to get both of you. <laughs> but and you guys fries. don't know this. Huh? And some fries. Yeah, and some fries. Ketchup, too. Don't forget the ketchup. You guys don't even know this. My son-in-law, Danny, who is my associate pastor, and, you know, and... <laughs> who thinks he's my associate pastor. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. 
But it was when he was, a, you know, back in the day, they had a high school camp out in Colorado. Uh, Shane Crawford, another my son in the Lord, uh, took the high school kids out there. This is back in the day at another church. And they had Joe come out and preach. And he preached a camp in Colorado. And during that week when Danny got saved through his preaching. See how the hand of God weaves its way down in people's lives? It's incredible. It's just incredible. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where I, I look back at the blessings in my life and, and all I've ever tried to do for anybody is what others have done for me. They taught me how to dig a well. Sabaka and Ruckman taught me how to dig, dig, dig it deep. But these guys taught me how to carve out the rock to store the water. Cisterns of stone. And I look back at the blessings of my life and, you know, and it just, it, it, it all, you see the hand of God just moving down through it in, in ways. God has allowed me um, to do the one thing that I do well. And that is to train young men in the 80, families of moms and dads in digging wells. You know, I can't do what I used to do the way I used to do it. Fifty years, you know, I was thinking about this week. You know, most guys retire. And they work at IBM or they work at some place and some businesses. And, you know, they put in 20, maybe 30 years. And then they retire, you know. But their 20 years, 30 years is eight to five, six days, five days a week. You know, and I, I got thinking, you know, mine's been 50 years, 24-7. Yes. There's never been a day. I know a lot of pastors say, hey, I'm off the clock at 5, don't call me. If you're going to die, die at 4.30. That's never been me. You call me in the middle of the night, you call me whenever. And uh, it, it's, it, 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 it's the only way it can be. And, you know, I know now that, uh, you know, hey, I'm 70 years old. I maybe got 15, 20 years left if the Lord doesn't come. But you see, my blessing is that God has given me my family. And they can do now and pick up my slack and, and do what I can't do anymore. And then God has given me all of you as my family. And uh, you are my band of brothers. And we together have been in the mud and we've been in the blood. And uh, you do for me what I can't do for myself anymore. There's no way I could work with all the people that are being worked with, all the discipleship, all of the across the country, the, the Zoom things that you do and all the things. I, I, I couldn't do that. And it, it's, you know, and God has given me you, my band of brothers, to help me in my last years, just as I have helped you in your early years. And together you know, we will get the job done. Philippians 1, 6, he began a good work in us and will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're a team. And though I appreciate all this so much, you know what, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy who, who, who just wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. And I learned from the people who helped me. And I would never take them for granted. And they taught me that ministry is nothing more than me doing for you what they did for me based on what God did for all of us. Amen. 
My verse for ministry has always been 2 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own selves, because ye were dear to us. To me, that's my 50 years in the ministry. You know, and it's hard for me to put into words But I thought this week one thing that I could leave you with that hopefully would put it into a context for you. Since I started for the kingdom Since my life he controlled Since I gave my life to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows the longer I serve him the sweeter he grows thank you not only for these days that we've had together but for all that many of you have invested with me and the greatest work that will ever be part of and that is the ministry of Old Paths Baptist Church you, my band of brothers, for he this day who sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And Christ shed his blood for all of us and now we shed our blood with each other as we serve him. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know God won't give me another 50 years. I hope he don't get another two. I hope the Lord comes back and we're out of here. For I have to run for president and straighten this place out. But thank you, all of you, for all that you mean to me, all that you've done. And let's just keep on doing what God has called us to do, digging wells and keeping the people that God gives us, teach them how to dig wells. So as we be dismissed here, head over to, to um, Jason's Deli and, and then tonight at Jamie's and then tomorrow night at Funhouse, pick what you want to do. I hope that uh, this has been fun for you. It's been fun for me. Let's have a word of prayer and then... We'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for this church and for its stand on the Word of God. And truly, Lord, if it wasn't for you, none of us would ever have crossed paths. We'd never be friends the way we are. We'd never have each other to, to help each other, to be there for each other. And I pray, Father, that you continue, continue to open up and to bless, you know, the lives of your people here. As we stay faithful in an unfaithful world, as we stay true in a compromising Christianity to the Word of God and teach and train others, thank you for the lesson today. Thank you for the example of the great well, Jacob's well, and how what a picture that shows that how, it isn't just about that she found it, it shows us how that well came to be and how that water got to us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' sake. Name we ask it. Amen.
Hey, don't forget, if you're willing to help me out with Marlon, see Scott back there or see myself, I got three 